Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Raw podcast. I am your host for the ad space for this episode. And I think you're going to really like this episode because it's the recap from the 72 hour challenge that I did with our HR gal, Ricky, who definitely was taken out of her comfort zone. And we had a, a total blast leveling her up and proving that she's a badass. I'm going to just quickly run through some of the sponsors, some of the advertisers that make this podcast possible. And there are a couple that I think you're going to really find interesting. First one, Range Meal Bars. Their website is rangemealbar.com. If you use the coupon code FIELDCRAFT, you can get 10% off. During this 72-hour challenge in the woods, I was looking for the most caloric energy bar I could possibly bring. I knew I was going to be taking Ricky with me. I knew that we'd be sharing our food. And I looked all over the internet. Well, I found range meal bar and a single range meal bar has 700 calories in it. It's about the size of a smartphone, but you will find that when you have the range meal bar, it's going to fill you up as if it was like 12 times the size. Um, I really enjoyed eating those. I still have a stack of them on my desk and I'm planning on using them for backpacking trips. It's a legit meal replacement bar. Um, so please check them out. They're really good people. Range Meal Bars, the website, rangemealbar.com, coupon code FIELDCRAFT, you'll get 10% off. Another another uh, sponsor for this podcast is Triarch. Triarch is a phenomenal, phenomenal company. Uh, they take existing great firearms like AR-15s and Glocks, and they make them even better. They do slide cuts, they do custom finishes. They really are able to squeeze a lot of performance out of already phenomenal guns. I know Mike Glover loves his uh, Triarch pistols. I know that a bunch of our trainers are using them. And if you use the coupon code FIELDCRAFT, you can get 5% off of your order. So uh, please check them out as well. They've been longtime supporters of our, um, our podcast and they've been friends for a very, very long time. So I would check them out. Their website is triarchsystems.com. Again, the coupon code is FIELDCRAFT and you'll get 5% off. The very last sponsor for today's podcast, uh, you guys can probably hear this, right? This is the hydration drink, Hoist. And Hoist is what I'm drinking right now. I just got out of the woods not too long ago with Ricky and it's been proven to rehydrate better than water alone. Um, hoist is used by a lot of different folks. And the website is drinkhoist.com. Uh, you're going to find that Hoist has half the sugar that a lot of common energy drinks do have, or I should say hydration drinks have. Um, and it actually tastes phenomenal. It's not like you're drinking something that tastes metallic or anything bizarre. A um, couple more things about Hoist. There are a lot of electrolytes in it, but not all of them are approved by uh, the Department of Defense. Or I should say, there are a lot of electrolyte drinks out there, but not all are approved by the Department of Defense. Hoist actually is. Uh, Hoist comes in five different bottled flavors and three powdered flavors. It's good for exercise recovery, hangover relief, excess time in heat and sun, travel, dehydration recovery. Guys, we spent multiple days up at 9,500 feet. Uh, I know Ricky was definitely dehydrated. I definitely dropped down in a lot of weight. I'm trying to get back to my normal rolling around weight. So I'm drinking hoist today. Um, hoist is formulated to absorb instantly 
replenish your body with electrolytes, carbohydrates, and fluids you need without delay. Um, hoises, basically hydration you can actually feel. If you guys go to drinkhoist.com and you go to use the coupon code fieldcraft10, you can get 10% off your order. So please check out those sponsors, Range Meal Bars, Triarch, and Hoist. And I think you will uh, be satisfied when you do. All right, guys, without further delay, here is the podcast featuring Austin Lester, Ricky Salave, and me, Kevin Estella, recapping the 72-hour challenge, which was more like Ricky's 24-hour solo challenge. Here we go. Ricky, what's up? How are you? I'm doing great. Okay. A little stinky, but yeah, doing great. <laughs> so you just wrapped up your 72-hour survival challenge, um, which was supposed to be and was mostly with Kevin, mm -hmm. um, but didn't quite turn out that way in the end. No, it didn't. Um, surprise, surprise. I knew. I knew. Oh, my gosh. You guys, you guys can keep such a good secret. Yeah. I mean, that's. I didn't even get the hints that he dropped. Yeah. I, I, I was out of town, so I wasn't paying attention to the little right. Easter eggs. I yeah. was just like, oh, I'm not going to look that up. Yeah. I don't know yeah, what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew what Wilson was, but <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> yeah, he definitely dropped a couple. Um, it was pretty funny. But um, actually, and I can tell you who to thank for that idea. Kevin Owens. Kevin Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he hit us with it while you were out of town. He's like, Kevin, you should leave Ricky out there. Thanks, Kevin. For the last 24 hours. So really good idea, Kevin. Way to go. Um, kudos to you. We miss you. Um, dang, so how are you feeling? I mean, you're obviously tired. Yeah, so last night I got into the shelter probably around 9, mm -hmm. and I didn't fall asleep until probably midnight. I just was laying there. I could not sleep. I kept hearing so many noises. And when Kevin was in there the night before or the nights before every little noise, I was like, Oh, it's Kevin. It's fine. But this every noise, I just couldn't sleep. Yeah. Um, and then I woke up at three 15 and I've been up since. Wow. I well, did not great. go back to sleep. I'm really tired. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you look tired. You look sleepy. Um, but let's back up. Let's, uh, let's start from the top. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, last time, the podcast happened with Kevin, um, Estella and Mike, when he came out of his 72 hour challenge, um, you got voluntold or nominated, um, for doing this yep. and you didn't even know that that was coming. Mm -mm. Um, which again, I kind of knew that was coming. I wasn't going to tell you, but we kind of, these secrets, these field craft secrets, y'all yeah. got to stop. Yeah. But it's a good thing. Um, yeah. but it, <laughs> So we kind of talked about it a little bit before, and then Mike was like, Ricky's the perfect person. Because you'd kind of been um, on this, like, you had kind of like laid low when you first got into the company of like, just kind of, well, I'll handle the HR stuff, I'll handle these things. But then you were poking around and asking questions about survival or about <laughs> shooting and about these other things. And obviously you were interested, and that's why you came to work with this company to begin with. But yeah. um, as you started poking around and kind of asking questions about things, and we realize that you're more interested in, in all the stuff that we're doing here, mm -hmm. aside from just doing your job or whatever, you know. So you start trying to learn some of these skills and uh, start taking some of the classes and you start hanging out. And um, obviously the progression of that is eventually you're going to get put in head first into it. <laughs> obviously, so. I've realized that now. <laughs> <laughs> so what were you thinking whenever you heard you got nominated? I thought they were joking when he came down. Um, like I said in the other podcast, Mike looked so guilty when he came down, big puppy dog eyes. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what did you do? Did you cancel our meeting later today? Yeah. And he goes, no. <laughs> Way worse. You, Kevin. Yeah. yeah. 72 hours. 
one bag. Yeah. So um, I didn't actually believe it, like I said, and I had to listen to the whole 45 minutes mm-hmm. until I saw that. And I was like, oh my God, he yeah. was serious. Yeah. Um, and he didn't give us much time to like... Yeah, get it together, right? Yeah. It's not like you had to train up. I mean, you kind of... Um, you learned what you had learned up until that point. And mm-hmm. then, you know, obviously day-to-day ops didn't stop for us. You still had a job. Kevin still had a job to do. Yeah. And you could, we couldn't just like drop everything and go out and train and practice. So. Yeah. There was like two weeks um, where we would just meet like a little bit each day and go over another new item for the bag or ideas for the bag or this or that mm-hmm. to kind of line out what we were bringing. Because I didn't want to go into the challenge knowing – not knowing what was in the zip black bag and what each item was for, I kind of wanted to know a little bit, yeah. um, especially watching his challenge. I wanted to see what each thing was and how it would need to change with me being in it as well. Yeah, hundred so. percent. And you know, and the the other part to that is is like that's what a lot of people and for those of you listening, that's the way this kind of happens in reality too, right? Is you find a little interest in something, then you, you, that interest starts to, you know, kind of gain some traction and then you take a class and then you mm-hmm. start to learn. Well, whenever you're doing these things and it's like, you know, and, and Kevin, I know you, you could talk about this, um, from courses that you and I teach, but, um, how many students do we get where they're, they want the answer. They want to mm-hmm. come to the class and they want someone to, to be like Austin, Kevin, Ricky now, Mm-hmm. Tell me exactly what I need in my bag, exactly why I need it. And it's like, well, I can't exactly give you the answer, but I can give you an answer that might work for you. I, I can definitely say for sure. I mean, it's so easy to simply just regurgitate an answer for someone like, hey, this is what you need. And then them saying, you got it. Or, you know, Roger that. Or, yeah, 100%. Got it. But many times the the why is more important than the what. Yes. and. You know, I can say, hey, you need this. Well, why would I need that? Well, I can't as easily explain it. You just need to experience it. Yes. And and that's something that a lot of people aren't willing to do um, because they're like, well, I'll I'll learn about that when I actually need it. Well, mm. uh, wrong answer. <laughs> you know, you said don't. every person that died in the wilderness ever. And it's like um, and, I, and maybe that's a little harsh to say, but it's it's true. Right. Like people. Um, you know, and, and I'm, we're here as instructors and, and to teach people and to, and yeah, if you, if you need the what, okay, sure. That's something we can help and have the discussion with. But like you said, the why is the most important. And unfortunately, um, for you as the person learning and for Ricky as the person learning, um, the big part of that, why has to come from the experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like I didn't, it, it, I always kind of joke. It's like, I've said this in a class before. It's kind of like you guys probably all played Tony Hawk Pro Skater, you know, <laughs> yep. growing up. That, that was my first video game on a PlayStation 1. I got it for Christmas. Yeah, the, the dark side rail. Uh, remember that? <laughs> yeah. The, the dark side yeah, rail. Skateboard like flipped you, over, yep, grinding could, on the You could do tape. that grind around that pool. Like that's uh, how you could, yeah. you could rank, rank yeah, up the, yeah, yeah. the highest amount 100%. Well, yeah. what I say is I'm like, okay, so you've played Tony Hawk Pro Skater, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I played that. I'm like, okay, cool. So you know how like at the beginning of the game you get like access to like three skateboards and that's it. You can't just like go to the most awesome like Burton board or most um, badass skateboard zero deck with the skull on it that you want. You got to unlock them and you kind of got to get there through experience through the game, right? It's just like that when you're taking time and spending time in the woods, like your backpack isn't just 
it's grayed out. Like you can't select the best version of the backpack and the best, all the right gear first. You have to go out with the crummy backpack with a little bit of gear that you don't know exactly Mm -hmm. what and the why. And you got to just kind of figure it out through experience. And then eventually as you level up, you know, that backpack becomes available and it's lightweight and it's super nice and you got all the right stuff. Right. And you can only read like so much, like you can read up on being out in the outdoors and building shelters and building tools out like bushcraft, everything. And you can read all that, but until you actually go out and do it, it doesn't really click. Like you might think you know it all. And then you get out there and you're like, oh, so I can't just grab the first stick I see. I have to look for one that looks like a Y that has the, that I can bend to make a net and this and that. Mm -hmm. And like, you don't, you can read it, but you don't know until you apply it. Right. hundred percent. And, and it's interesting to hear you say that now, because I remember, I mean, three months ago, having this conversation with you, you know, where, you know, you're asking all these questions. Like, yeah, but why can't I just do this? And I'm like, <laughs> like, man, little young Padawan, if only I could, <laughs> if, <laughs> if only I could, little Rick, if I could only <laughs> tell you, um, but, and, and I don't say that to try to sound arrogant myself, but it, it really just does come from like experience. And, oh, yeah. and so as you're going through this process and you're, and you're talking with Kevin about different items and what you're going to use, I mean, what, what were you thinking? Well, but hold on before we answer that. So the whole time we're talking about having gear, that's like way above your head. Mm-hmm. I always think of the guy that gets his first like real paycheck oh, yeah. and goes out and buys a freaking Mustang, <laughs> right? It, this is, people are guilty of this all the time and they don't realize that that thing's got a lot of horses under the yeah. hood. Right. And next thing you know, they wrap it around a tree and it's yeah. like, you get this amazing vehicle and you don't know how to drive it. Or since a lot of the listeners are gun folks, they get this rifle mm-hmm. that is like a sub minute of angle you know, rifle with a ridiculous optic and they can't shoot at a hundred yards <clears throat> in, in grief right. to save their life. So a, a lot of this is true. Like you, you don't appreciate the gear until you've kind of earned the reps leading up to the good gear. Right. Uh, just well, like that. Yeah. All those skateboards. Yeah. And, and a step further than that is you can't appreciate, you just can't even appreciate all the detail in some of the gear because you don't even know all the features and all the all the reasons that that thing is the way that it is and until you experience you don't have it. And everybody's pack is different. Like it mm-hmm. might be like your perfect pack, but that's so different from my perfect yes. pack. And like you might have your favorite type of water bottle or tablets to purify your water or this or that, but I might have a different type. So it's mm-hmm. just different for each person. Yeah. Is- and there's a million considerations, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I carry my weight different than Kevin carries his weight in his pack. And because I'm, I like, maybe mm-hmm. I like carrying more water where Kevin likes carrying more snacks where, yeah. you know, I like, um, having more sleeping and bedding bed down supplies mm-hmm. versus you like having more fishing gear or whatever yeah. it and is. People for this upcoming 48 hour challenge, that's going to be in October. Everybody's going to say, what do we pack? What do we pack? Mm-hmm. But you have to, Take into consideration what Kevin's packed for his challenge, what I've packed or what we've packed for this challenge, but you also have to fit it for yourself. Don't copy exactly what we've done because it's not going to be the same things you need. Um, I also want to get with Amanda, Amanda outside, Mm -hmm. um, and do a video with her. Like, what would you build as your kit as Mm. a female? Because this is based off what Kevin's doing and what he's coming up with. But I want to get with Amanda and say, what would you do? You're an outdoors woman. You have your own channel. What would you have structured? Yeah. And I kind of want to take what my experience and what you think and kind of do a challenge with a kit that we build together. Yeah, that's smart. That'd be cool, man. She'd actually be a good person to to have do a challenge like this. But um, check her out, guys, too, on YouTube, Amanda Outside. She's got an awesome channel, especially if you're um, new or um, still in that like kind of novice 
spot of learning mm -hmm. about camping, survival type stuff. She's a great resource. Mm -hmm. um, Do you remember what that question was that we kind of sidetracked? Oh, yeah. yeah. So no. what what were you thinking? <laughs> as, no, no, you're good. You're good. Um, what were you kind of thinking as you're putting these these items together? Because obviously, you know, you know what some of them or maybe even most of them were, but some yeah. of them you were like, what the hell is this? I didn't know the purpose for um, for the floss. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the purpose for the the glue. Um, but after being out there, I did use the glue when I made my slingshot. I, I wanted to make it look better than Kevin's and I tied a few knots in that intertwines of the paracord would not tie right. Mm -hmm. So I glued them down <laughs> after I tied them a few times. Um, but also I just didn't want that, that band to, I don't, I've never made a, a slingshot before. Right. I just wanted to make sure it was as sturdy as possible. I didn't want to pull it back and hit myself in the face and be out of the <laughs> challenge or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the floss we used to make and tie all of our evergreens together to make a door for our shelter. Um, we also used it to tie our meal, our range meal bars up in the middle of our shelter so mice couldn't get them. Right. Um, so those things I didn't really think about. <laughs> I didn't really think about. So it was nice to um, kind of take those items I didn't know and kind of see a purpose for them when I'm like, why are you wasting our space? Yeah. 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 So, um, as you learn, and, and this is a, this is a thing within, uh, survival in the way that we like to teach it anyway is, is it's not what to think it's how to think. Mm -hmm. So whenever you learn the principles behind like cordage, like mm -hmm. once you understand what makes cordage cordage and what makes cordage good cordage yeah then you start applying that and start seeing other items that are just laying around differently exactly and we i well kevin replaced my shoelaces with paracord mm -hmm. and we found a primitive shelter out there with somebody who took a bunch of aspens had a chainsaw made their own shelter mm -hmm. cool and we found a water bucket we found a water jug and we found paracord that was tied up and that is actually a paracord i wrapped my knife in oh, um cool. we did a video on that so we'll post that at some point. Yeah, the most primitive shelter that was made with a freaking chainsaw. And the the ridge line was about as thick as Ricky's uh waistline. Uh not saying that you're thick like that, but I'm just saying like <laughs> like my thigh, your waist, right? Um I was trying to say like my leg, but then people are gonna be like, well, well, how thick is that? You know? Um, but in any case, um I don't know where you're going. I don't know. That. Listen, in any case, uh it was just, it, it was one of those those shelters that someone put together and, and they tried doing a perimeter job and hey, kudos but to you guys. But with a chainsaw. But with a freaking chainsaw. And if that's your shelter, let us know. Yeah. I mean, it's a primitive <laughs> shelter to survive the next asteroid that's going to kill all the dinosaurs. Uh, you know, like. Yeah. You'll see that video um, of us finding that shelter. Um, we have it on one of the GoPro footage, but we got to find a lot of cool stuff in there. Um, and then we ended up going up there every night. Because they oh, cool. they chainsawed these big aspen stumps, yeah. so we rolled them out to the ridge line, and you could see over the valley and see the sunset each night. So, oh, cool. thanks for the hookup with those stumps, guys. Yeah, right. So, uh, and you know that actually brings up a good point that I'll I'll talk about for just a minute is, um, you know, you think about there's some areas in the country that really are almost untouched by mm -hmm. humans, but most of the areas that the majority of us frequent. Are, you know, are frequented by other people, even if it's not super frequent, there's still been people around. So um, keeping it, your eyes peeled for things like that or other um, benefits and gear that people have left lying around is it can be of benefit to you throughout some kind of an isolating event or, or survival event that you are potentially in. Right. So, yeah. And um, the, the paracord that we found was bright blue. So it was nice to have that as the handle for my knife. Cause yeah. that's not a color you see in nature. Right. So I didn't lose my knife at all. And it was really nice because I started to get blisters from cutting, um, all the evergreens and the trees. So once we wrapped the handle with that blue paracord, 
I didn't take that thing off. Yeah, no, that's smart. And, and that's, that's another good point. It's a good, good lesson for folks is, you know, for my line kits, the first time I made line kits, I was like, Oh, I'm going to get black and I'm going to get OD green. And mm -hmm. that, that looks sweet. Right. Um, but guess what? As soon as you drop an OD green or a black piece of paracord on the ground, oh, yeah. it vanishes and it's never to be seen again. So I always have like hot pink and bright orange as my line kit colors, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I've almost choked myself out on a line, you know, because I didn't see it at night instead of like, <laughs> instead of like having a freaking bright colored piece of paracord. So yeah. now I, I, I've learned my lesson with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's good. That's good stuff. And and with your hands, you know, that's something else. It doesn't matter how calloused your hands are. It doesn't matter how tough you think your hands are until you've done some bushcrafting and, and yeah. some of those skills. That your hands are sap. used to it. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, it was just caked on. We're, we have to take goo off, off what it's called, yeah. to our knives because it's just, it's caked. Mm -hmm. But Rubbing alcohol does a good job. Oh, yeah, perfect. yeah, it does. So... Um, as you guys packed your bag, and, and again, you guys were just in one Ziploc bag for both of you. Yes. Yeah, that sucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So when, once it started getting closer, um, you obviously were going to be out of town. You went to see some family um, for like the week prior to, and then you were home for like a day or two Yeah. Um, prior to. And then we almost, and I wasn't even going to bring this up, but we almost ended up pushing the the survival challenge mm -hmm. because you actually had like an allergic reaction to something that you yep. ate right no um it was the the ocean i had allergic reaction um <laughs> to the ocean um with some sea lice or something yeah. um when i was out there and then i had an, a reaction to that reaction when i got back it was oh. like two days before i was in urgent care um i couldn't walk i had reactive arthritis in my legs and i couldn't walk for like two days mm. um and i was on medication when i was out there i brought some bars just in case i needed to take it with my medication because right. i was consistently taking that because mm -hmm. i just have shooting pains up and down my legs um mm. this week uh so I actually didn't end up eating the bars. I just took my medication. I didn't want to cheat at all. I brought them in case I really needed to because taking medication without anything yeah, in your stomach, stomach really messes fine. it up. But um, luckily, I was okay. Um, but yeah, I'm, I didn't. Not, I did not want to back out. If I absolutely could not walk, I was going to back out. But I powered through. I didn't want to let Fieldcraft down or let Kevin down and I was so mentally prepared to go in that day mm. if I push it again it would have been a lot harder yeah absolutely. um so I'm really glad that I pushed through and did it yeah well I'm proud of you for it too um but that I mean that's a factor right so mm -hmm. it plays on your mind like man am I really capable of doing this and and obviously this is a somewhat controlled environment and event that we did right like you were never um like an extreme danger or anything. Yeah. You mm -hmm. were out there alone. You guys were away from everyone and you're really freaking out there. I mean, it took us, um, a little over an hour to get to where you were from where we were. Right. Mm -hmm. But and no <clears> service. <throat> we had to go to the top of the hill each time. Right. So we'd go up three times a day to check in, make sure everything was good. Know if we needed to restructure any plans or do anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah. And it's like, I, I mean, that's a real, um, that's a real thought that people are going to have going into some type of an emergency or survival event as well, because you, you always are going to um, think about the things that are setting you back or putting you to it a disadvantage. And mm -hmm. when you look at, and in search and rescue, we talk about this a lot, um, which is the psychology of a lost person or someone that's um, in a survival incident and you know, the psychology and, it, and it's similar to the, actually the stages of grief that people have, um, which is, but the first one is like panic and fear. Right. And they think about that and all the things are hitting them 
um, of that they maybe screwed up or they didn't do right. Or like, oh, I was just in the ER two days ago. I just really wanted to go on this camping trip. And now mm -hmm. here I am like, man, I really screwed up. And they're thinking yeah. through all these different things. And I'm sure that played a part on your mind as well, even oh, yeah. in this uh, a challenge that's in somewhat, like I said, a controlled environment. Mm -hmm. right? You just never know, especially like sleeping in such cold weather too. My legs were acting up a little bit. The mm -hmm. first day I was limping out of out of that shelter, but I also mm -hmm. slid to the bottom because the incline and slept in a little tiny ball at the end <laughs> and woke up in Kevin's at the other end yeah. um, and I was squished. But uh, yeah, it, I think it definitely played a big part in it. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, being on your feet and actively moving around mm -hmm. for especially, 18 hours. Especially in like the, the elevation we were in. Right. Well, because you guys were at 9,500 feet. Yes. Yeah. Well, at your campsite. And then that's not talking about when you guys travel around to go get water, mm -hmm. um, to do all the other things. I mean, you're probably up and around 10 plus yeah. for a large part of the time. Too. And the water was not close. Right. We got water once. Yeah. And and that's another consideration, right? Mm -hmm. So it changed probably even the game plan you had in your head. Oh, yeah. I, the last day um, in the footage I recorded a lot, I was just like contemplating, do I exert myself and go get water? like go on the hour hike in high elevation with a little bit of water to go get more or should I stick around and um, keep the water I have and kind of just conserve it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, yeah. I was back and forth a lot that last day to figure out and I was starting to get a headache, I think from dehydration oh, yeah. where I just couldn't make my mind up. Should yeah. I get more? Should I just stick around? It was right. hard. And so, I wanted to stay busy too. So yeah. So that's, that's a good point. So let's talk about that. What what ultimately was your decision? What did you finally decide on for getting water? I stayed around the campsite. I did not get water. Um, I thought if I went two or three miles down the road to go get that, um, well, we had to hike to the road and then go down it. And the water it was just a little bit of water. It wasn't a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it was just a small creek. And when we got before, there was a bunch of bugs. It wasn't clear. It was kind of murky. Um, so I decided against it and I decided just to stick around just use my knife and make, uh, make the slingshot, make the net, just kind of small tasks right there yeah. that are kind of like time consuming and yeah. busy work, mm -hmm. but not overexerting myself. I did hike up to, um, another tree line and get some gooseberries. And I, there's this other stump that was up at the top of the hill that we kept going to. So I went up there and set up a target, did some target pack practice with the slingshot. Nice. And then I went to the primitive site again, one more time, but I just kind of stayed in those those three little areas that were yeah. close to the site. Yeah. And, and, and it's the balance, right? So mm -hmm. <clears throat> that's a good example of a situation that people can be in, mm -hmm. in a survival situation is, is thinking through, well, what are, what do I, what decision should I make? What's the right answer? And there's not always just one right answer. There's mm -hmm. usually several right answers and obviously you live through it, you know, but mm -hmm. maybe you think about had you been out there another day yeah. um, or two days or five days, you would have had to go back to get water. So, oh yeah, definitely. Um, leaning on the and erring on the side of not knowing when you're being recovered, maybe the move is to go get water. But knowing that you're like, hey, I'm going to be yeah. out of here or whatever, obviously plays a part in your in your decision making. Mm -hmm. But when we look at survival as as with the decision making that we have to do, that's a tough one, right? It's yeah. Tough and that last day, it was probably like 9.30, 10.30 and I was shaking. Like I was doing mm. the slingshot and I was shaking. I almost cut my hand pretty bad a few times. Um, and you'll see the GoPro was strapped to my chest and you could mm. just hear my stomach. I mm. was so hungry. It's going to be because it was a chest rig. <laughs> so you're going to hear my stomach. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I need to eat the other half of this, right? I need to eat half of this range bar now because like, I don't know if this is when I had the most energy and I 
I'm slacking right now. So I ate half of it and I didn't want to use my water because that was the time I decided not to go get more water. So I hiked up to another area and ate my range bar with gooseberries to try to like have that liquid in my mouth and kind of expand it a little bit. Yeah. So I made that decision then when I wasn't getting the water to right. go get gooseberries, which was closer mm -hmm. um, and just use that as a little bit of hydration. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a tactic for sure. So, um, and it was dropping down even in the summer um, this time of year, it was getting kind of chilly at night. You know, you guys, oh, yeah, I know it was, it was dropping down into the low forties. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially being above 9,000. We were not expecting that. And thank goodness that Kevin had, uh, the Kafaru doobie bag in yeah. his truck, mm -hmm. because I don't think we like, we would have probably had to call it cause we only had one emergency blanket. Um, I need to get one of those and it needs to stay in my car cause that thing saved me. Yeah. All right. So, so my take on the, on the sleeping situation, um, fall asleep, right? We were, we make this natural shelter, a dome shelter, and we, we took particular attention to make sure we were going to insulate from the ground. I knew that we had some partial blockage of the wind, but I knew that the ground was going to zap it from us because it was damp. And, you know, the, the ground is always going to win that battle in terms of who's going to warm up who or cool right. off who. Well, I, uh, I, we, we both fall asleep and, I told, I told Ricky, I'm like, all right, uh, see you in the morning, whatever. Well, I wake up to Kevin. It's so cold. It's so cold. So I, I go and I grab her that, that doobie bag. Right <laughs> now we had set up, we had set up our emergency blanket, the Mylar blanket as a water collection basin, because right before we finish our shelter or finish the shelter for the first day, we heard thunderstorms and I'm like, perfect. We can get water. So we set it up like a collection basin, which meant that I was going to leave it out all night. Well, I was sleeping in cotton pants and a cotton shirt, but I had a wool vest and, you know, I had synthetic, synthetic layers on underneath those shirts, but still cotton kills. I froze my ass off the first night. Um, and I was shaking. Like I woke up that morning and I had to like do jumping jacks running in place. Cause I mean, I was freaking cold and I'm a, I'm a warm sleeper. Second night. I'm like, I'm going to get that, that stupid emergency blanket. And I put that emergency blanket on me and it got down to 46 degrees and that actually felt fantastic. But people don't realize when you're sleeping in an emergency blanket, anyone else in the shelter with you is going to hear potato chip bags. All and night, yeah. she kept waking up at one point, she whacks me in the shoulder and she goes, is that your head? I and thought I, I was going to elbow you. And I was like, no, it's my shoulder. And she goes, oh, okay. And then she yeah. goes back to sleep. And by the way, Ricky loves snoring in her sleep. I told her that she, uh, it's not like a true chainsaw or lawnmower. It's more like a, like a delicate whimper. Um, more like, oh it's more like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't really think okay, I sound like it that. It didn't sound like that, but you guys can imagine that for yeah. the rest of your life. Okay. That's, that's pretty funny. And, <laughs> and, uh, another thing on, and what a lot of guys and, and, and folks in general just don't understand about, um, in, in, we are in like a high desert environment. Right. Mm -hmm. And what actually classifies a desert is those extreme temperature swings. So when you go from like 95 or 102 during the day yeah. down to 45 at night, your body is not prepared for that temperature swing. So yeah. what, you know, you guys at home might be saying, well, that's not even below freezing. Yeah. But your, your body is accustomed to a much higher heat. Mm -hmm. And then whenever that drops down, it affects your physiology. So that, you can suffer from some of those symptoms of like even hypothermia, even above freezing, which yeah. is especially at elevation. And that day, that second day, it was like 60s all day. Mm -hmm. um, and I tried to, I had a tank top, a long sleeve, a recce shirt, and a puffy. Um, so during the day, I would just try to 
keep as the, just the tank top on. So my body would get used to the cold right, and I was smart. trying to not put on my layers until it was bedtime because I wanted my body to adjust to that cold temperature throughout smart. the day. Smart, yeah, good tactic. So that helped, I think. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. So um, walk me through what you guys, what all you guys were foraging for food. I know I know there were a few live critters and then a lot yeah. of edibles out there. So gooseberries, number one, day one, I just got a giant bag of those and then I dumped them and replenished on the third day. Um, but I would just snack on those when my mouth would start to get dry. I would eat a few of those just to get the moisture in my mouth. Um, and they're really sweet too, right? Yeah. Well, it depends. Some of them, I got some sour ones. Yeah. Mike got, Mike got a video of me eating a sour one, spinning it everywhere. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they're pretty good, but they're, if you get the darker ones, they're better. Obviously the bigger, darker ones and they're on the underneath of the bushes. Yep. And those bushes have so <clears throat> many thorns and hitchhikers. Yeah. So you can't just pick them up. It takes a long time to pick them. Um, and then when we went to go get water, I found two stalks of mullein. Cool. Um, so I ate that. And other than that, just crickets. Yeah. That was the only thing out there. There was nothing. Yeah. I dug a little bit to see if there was any other bugs, mm -hmm. but I didn't know what to eat. I was, I had a few dandelions. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's it. Yeah. So, it, and I know there were some, there was some like red elderberry out there as well. Yeah. Um, but the thing with red elderberry is you do have to be careful because the seed actually contains cyanide. So, you know, you can eat a handful of them raw and maybe that's all you do, but you do got to be careful. Um, you can actually take those and they say air, um, letting them sit and air out and then uh, become dry in the sun takes care of that. It, it neutralizes that. Oh. And then as well as boiling them, you can do that as well and it'll neutralize that. Okay. Um, so you don't want to eat a lot more. There was a lot of mushrooms. We found a ton of mushrooms, but you just never know with those. Yeah. I didn't know which ones were edible, but we had um, probably like four or five different varieties right within our campsite. Yeah, and that's another scary one, right? Like mm -hmm. there's a ton of mushrooms that are very edible, that are super good, and actually have a lot of benefit to them, to eating them. But again, there's so much, um, so many contraindications for mushrooms and, and finding the correct species. And yeah. so that's something that, you know, I, I want to further my knowledge on as well and learn a lot more about is mm -hmm. foraging and, and being able to identify with a much higher degree of certainty. Yeah. And with my body being so sensitive and always having, having allergic reactions, once Kevin was gone, I just stuck to what I knew, Smart. Um, what I learned from him because I didn't want to have an allergic reaction. Nobody else out there. Right. Um, I don't want to stab myself with an EpiPen and not be able to yeah. get myself down the road and have to drive yeah. with a needle in my leg. Yeah. Um, so I just stuck to what I knew at that point. But yeah, it was, I definitely wish I asked more questions about more edible plants while he was still in the challenge. Cause I think that would have opened up my, um, selection for eating. Yeah. Off of the course. Land. Yeah. So crickets, how was that? Crunchy. <laughs> Crunchy. Um, so I don't know why, but the last day I could not see. I don't know if it was dehydration or hunger, but I could my eyes were so blurry all day. And it was it was kind of scary. Like I actually couldn't see. Um, and I had a wire that was in our bag and I was carrying it around because I prepped two crickets. I cut off their legs, their heads, their wings, put them on the wire, and I was gonna roast them. Um, but the bugs on the third day were so bad. I could not sit in the shade without getting swarmed by bees and bugs and even cutting those grasshoppers. I was getting swarmed. So I'm like, I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to continue later with prepping them when the bugs aren't as bad. Cause I didn't want to sit in the sun and get sunburned doing yeah. that. So when I got back later, I couldn't find that wire anywhere. Mm. I looked all over in my eyes. I just couldn't see. So I couldn't 
put them all on the wire to roast them. So I only prepped two more and I just stuck them on the end of my knife and held them over that jet boil. Yeah. Um, one of them I burnt. That one actually <laughs> tasted a lot better because yeah. um, it, it was crispy. Right. And then the other one was bigger and it was definitely a little squishy still. Oh God, Ooh, I just yum. like gagged a little bit. Um, it, was, <laughs> it was a little squishy. So if you are roasting crickets, make sure you fully cook them. them. Don't let yeah. them have the squishy belly still because it, it's freaky. Um, but the Cholula helped. I think yeah. next time if I could, I would probably have like a little tablet of maybe oil or butter or something mm -hmm. that I know he brought butter packets last time and put them and roast them with that mm. um, just to try to negate some of that nasty flavor. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think that would have helped a lot, but I, yeah, I just stabbed them with a knife and roasted them. So one of the <laughs> benefits and, and you did, you got to meet Mike Lowe. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Lowe was a air force survival instructor. And then, um, uh, back in the eighties and then started his own uh, company after that, did it. He's been doing it for 30 plus years or like 35 plus years. And then, um, he's been do in the survival space for 40 plus. So super knowledgeable guy. And he was on the season two of alone, mm -hmm. um, did really well on the show, but the guy is a wealth of knowledge and Kevin was out of town. So I got to teach with him on Saturday, which was really cool. And one of the things he talked about, um, and he teaches is a way to help negate some of the flavor of wild edibles. Like some of the things that you can eat, um, just aren't, don't taste good. Right. And that's yeah. and a food aversion is a big part of survival. And especially when you're talking about eating crickets oh, or yeah. eating and other bugs, like that's, it's a hard thing to deal with. And one of the things that he suggests that you can do, and obviously the nature of your challenge was being out of a Ziploc bag. But one thing that he suggests doing is taking a little oil, putting it in a pan and then actually deep frying the, the stuff that you, you know, don't necessarily like the way that it tastes. So um, and you can even get oils just from rendering fat from animals that you kill or that you collect. So uh, it's a it's a pretty cool tactic to help negate some of that. Imagine just being able to take one of those crickets, drop it in a little oil, deep fry it. Oh, yeah. And then crunch it up. <laughs> it tastes you know. so much better. And, yeah, I actually did a video last week with um, with Mike Lowe when he was here. I didn't have time to post it before I left, uh, so I'll probably post that this week. But he had a lot of good tips for eating foul foul mm. items <laughs> yeah right i mean even even things like ungulate poop yep. right yeah yes it's gotta yeah, steep it <laughs> yeah it's uh you're in a tough spot when you're eating turds oh yeah right i mean Kevin. did you did you eat turds while you were up there i didn't um that's but not what i heard i'd heard something about you i, I didn't poop, i didn't but. okay so everybody was asking me on the live yesterday what am i gonna how am i gonna get kevin back for leaving me mm. well guys I had wait, wait, wait. before wait. before you get to that, we gotta talk about you almost eating a, a turd. Okay. Okay, hold on. This, I'm taking over for a second. Hold on, hold on. Well, <laughs> so Ricky and I were foraging, and you know, the whole time that I'm out there with Ricky, I mean, it's basically like a kid sister I never had. Well, we're foraging and I see elk poo, and they're these perfect little pellets. They're like the size of a grape. So I pick one up and from about 15, 20 feet away, like this is my college, like Beirut days of like throwing ping pong balls into beer cups. So I look at Ricky's tiny little baby head and I throw, you have a baby head. Shut and up. I, and I throw, I throw this perfect elk turd right at her head and I hit her right on the brim of her hat. Ugh. And then she thinks we that were she, picking gooseberries for the record. <laughs> so, so she thinks that I'm throwing gooseberries at her. I pick up another one and I, I launch this perfect arcing, just, just perfect, perfect shot. And Ricky opens her mouth thinking it's a berry and <laughs> Luckily, my aim was off on this one because I could only imagine, I would never hear the end of it if she actually got an elk turd in her mouth <laughs> that I pivoted from 
like 20 feet away. Um, but she got, she got me back when I showed up today. So yeah, go, go. Yeah. So I almost ate, um, almost ate it. But when he got back, he was at the campsite. When I showed up, I went to go get service and came back down and he was there and startled me. And he was like, why is there a bag of elk poop right here? And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I picked up elk poop with with sticks, like chopsticks, and put them in a bag because I was going to peg him when we got back. <laughs> so when he was like asking, I got it out of the bag. I got my slingshot and I just went at him with the elk poop with my <laughs> slingshot and I got him. That was the first time I hit my target because I was doing um, target practice all the past few days with the slingshot and I could not hit my target. But when it came down to to it with Kevin, I hit him <laughs> twice. I think I hit the camera. And oh, then nice. after I hit him with the slingshot twice, I just started throwing them at him. Dang. Yeah. Well, um, I guess in the summer when you can't throw snow, elk poop is the uh is the go to for what to throw. Um so what else what else was going on out there? I know like the the second day is usually the hardest. Like the first day is kinda <laughs> like surreal. The second day it's kinda set in that you're out there. What are you thinking at that point? Yeah. So the second day, uh Kevin took a nap. I I can't nap. I'm not a napper. My brain doesn't turn off. Um, so I was just hanging out. And then later we were just kind of waiting for it to be six o'clock to go up the hill and just kind of waiting, waiting out time. So we we're just laying in the shelter. We, we hooked the GoPro up to the top of the shelter. So it's looking down on us. We're both laying on our backs and we realized we just kept talking about different stuff and it would revert back to food. Like we would talk <laughs> about, I was talking about Switzerland instead of broad. And then we were talking about cheese. Yeah. And every little thing. So we clicked the camera up and it's just Kevin and I laying on our backs for like 30 minutes talking about food or we would talk <laughs> about stuff and go back to food. So it's, yeah. it's pretty comical. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when you take yourself out of a, um, a, your normal life mm -hmm. where you're used to being able to do all the things that you like to do and want to do on your own schedule. And then when you're out there, you're, it's just shaken up. You know, you, yeah. you don't have access to food like you'd want. You don't have access to sleep like you would want. And everything's just a little bit more difficult. But mm -hmm. um, food is one of those things that I think, um, like everybody unites around food, right? Like yeah. I don't care where you're from, what you do, you love to eat. And so it's easy in the field. And I know my time in the field, that's a lot of mm -hmm. guys talk about chicks and they talk about food, right? And like, yeah. <laughs> that's where we spent and most of our time. With Kevin and I both ate so much the day before the challenge. Like he gained like nine pounds, nine pounds, nine pounds before the challenge. I gained five. Um, pretty sure I lost it, but we were just eating and eating. And I was so uncomfortably full the morning of, I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm like, roly poly into this challenge. <laughs> um, but I'm so glad I did because being up there and like, I kept busy. I didn't sit still too much. So I definitely burned that off pretty quick. That's good. Yeah. Staying busy, keeping your mind busy during those mm -hmm. circumstances is, is an important aspect of yeah. survival, right? Survival isn't lazy. Like people might think it is it's work, mm -hmm. right? It, you're constantly doing something. Yeah. And so. there was one point, um, did, did we already talk about the stump that I moved down the hill? No. So, um, up at that primitive shelter that we found, we would go up there each night for sunset. On the last day, I built my slingshot. I built my net. I wanted to, I'll go over that in a little bit, but um, I built all these tools. And then I went up to this to prep my crickets and I just wanted a flat surface. So I went up mm -hmm. to those stumps that I, we found were cut with a chainsaw. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to prep them up here in the sun. I want this at our campsite. So I lugged this giant stump I don't know if I was trying to wear myself out, if I was going crazy. Yeah. I rolled that thing up the hill and all the way down to our campsite. That thing was heavy. 
I don't know nice. how heavy it was, but <laughs> I I wore myself out. I don't know why I wanted that stump at the campsite so bad, but I did. Yeah. Well, you got the stump at your campsite. I, I know. <laughs> so when you found out that um, Kevin had left you a note, what like what happened? Like what like how did that come about? So Julian showed up really early that morning, our media guy, and we went over to those stumps where we've been going each day because yeah. it's two perfect stumps. We've been going there every night. It's a great place to do a confessional. So we sat there. I did mine, and I went back, and um, we drove up to the top of the hill to get service, um, and because we had to check in to see what time Julian was going to be there because he didn't know where our structure was right. or anything, so he wouldn't have been able to find us. And we went back down to where our shelter was, and the baggie, everything we had was on the hood of Julian's car. And I was like, why is it all this here? Like, where, where's Kevin? And you, usually in the distance, we could see where his car was, and it wasn't there. And I was like, okay. He had to, like, maybe he had to go take a call. Maybe he went to go get service. I don't really know. Um, and then Julian was like, oh, what's in the shelter? And I was like, hmm. What is in the shelter? And I go in and there's a sticky note hanging on the range bars, hanging from the ceiling in our shelter. Um, sticky note saying that he was getting pulled from the challenge and it was just me. I I was also very hungry and that was like the hungriest I've been was that morning. Mm -hmm. And I was so dehydrated and I just started crying. <laughs> I was overly tired, overly hungry, and I didn't know how to process it because I was just, it was so much going on. I was just in shock. So I did, I did cry, mm -hmm. um, but I just didn't know what to do next. It kind of just stunned me and I knew we had a plan for the day. And I'm like, now what? Now I'm going to have to get through this day on my own and restructure the whole day. So initially I kept saying, I, I, I hate you. I hate you. I was just mad, <laughs> but I wasn't mad. I was just shocked. I'm yeah. like, Oh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and, and from my perspective, I, I, I had spoken to Austin who's podcasting us by the way, the night before. And he goes, tomorrow you're going to, and basically do exactly what we did. Um, so you can thank that gentleman right across the table. I knew from you were on the phone for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now I drop you off at the top of the hill and I said, oh, I have to go put something back in the shelter. And you looked at me funny, like, what, did, what could you possibly put back in the shelter? Like we had a Ziploc bag, right? That, that was it. <laughs> so I go back and I take off and then I get down the road and I kind of tell everyone, listen, I've been hinting that I was going to do this because it was Kevin Owens plan. Um, you know, Kevin Bacon in the movie, the whitewater summer, he leaves the kids out on the Island for an overnight. And he's like, you learned a lot about yourself, you know, that type of thing. So I was hinting towards it for a week ahead of time. So I was kind of I knew it was going to happen, but then my heart broke when I saw the video that Julian uploaded where you're like, he's gone. He's gone. And I was like, that was Ricky. I hung out there for 48 hours. We were talking about like all sorts of, you know, fun stuff from childhood and this and that. And then I just leave you. Um, but it was part of the plan, but still it bothered me. And yeah. I, if anything, I wanted to get back up there and I did uh, last night to make sure that you're going to be okay. But man, it was... It, like I almost cried when I saw you crying because you were like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Yeah. I felt abandoned and hurt because I'm like, the, the whole time Kevin's like, yeah, it's team Kev Rick, whatever. And yeah. I was like, I was so hurt. I'm like, yeah. he did not just do that. This is a joke. This is a joke. Yeah. And I, I couldn't figure out how to process it. It took mm -hmm. me two hours after he left and after I like, cried. Um, 
I was trying to figure out my day and it took me like, I stood around for a while cause I'm like, I, I, I don't know where to start right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a very social person. I love social interactions. I'm very independent as well. So I'm fine on my own, but being around other people boosts my morale and keeps me high because I just am a social person. So not having that person there to like kind of keep my, keep me optimistic was hard. Um, so after two hours, I finally, I, I was going through different stages, I think kind of like you yeah. mentioned stages of grief earlier. Yeah. I felt like I was going through that. Like <laughs> I was upset yeah. and then all of a sudden I was pissed off and I'm like, okay, you're going to leave me in this challenge with your tools here, yeah. your slingshot, your net. No, I'm, I'm making my own versions of these and I'm not <laughs> using yours. I'm curious, when you went through the bargaining stage of grief, what were you willing to give up to get me back? I'm just curious. I didn't go through that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. No, yeah, I just, I redirected myself. I was still like, I made a video and I posted it. Um I was still a little emotional, but I was like, no, people obviously think that I can't do this. Mm -hmm. They obviously think like, oh, this is really going to shake her to the core. Like she can't do this. So I just wanted to prove everybody wrong. I wanted to go through it myself without his stuff. And that's kind of where I re re reevaluated my day. I took his stuff. I didn't see him make that net and I made my own version of it. I took it apart and made my own. And same with the slingshot. I kind of saw him do that, but I wanted to make my own stuff and use what I learned from being with him to do it all myself. Yeah. So the the psychology of being alone Mm -hmm. um, is tough, right? Oh, yeah. Realizing that it's really just you. And even with Julian there to like to film this reaction. (laughs) Yeah, I cried and I was like, I hate you guys. I hate you guys. And Julian's just like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Poor Julian had to give us like all the bad news and just deal yeah. with me, like not knowing what to do. He's the real hero here. <laughs> um, dang. So, so as you kind of accepted it and then you're like, it sounds like you kind of just took on the day, right? Like, mm-hmm. like okay, I got to start doing these things that I know to do. And that's where, and, and my new like favorite quote, I've been saying it a lot recently, but in the absence of action, there's fear. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that in a lot of different circumstances. And that's kind of the um, the big thing that I'm tying in with this thing I'm trying to start with responsible citizen is in the absence of action, there's fear. So when someone doesn't have a script of something to do, like mm-hmm. an actual, their, their training and the know-how, then they're, they can just be afraid and, and they just sit there and they, and they have this emotional reaction to something. And uh, unfortunately, there, it could be an emergency or a survival situation where the fear is going to lead to you or someone else potentially perishing or having some kind of really bad outcome mm-hmm. versus if you have been trained in a skill set and you know what to do, then that there is no absence of action. You have something to do yeah. and you know, okay, this is what I need to do to live. This is what I need to do to survive. This is what I need to do to even thrive. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you really stepped into that, which is, which is awesome to see. And, and that's, that's really the biggest lesson of this whole thing. And mm-hmm. that, and that was what, we were hopeful for, right? You know? Yeah. And that third day was my lowest, my weakest, my most dehydrated day. But that was the day I stayed the busiest. I started with the slingshot and then I went up and forged for berries. And then I did some slingshot practice. And then I came back down and I thought I was going to rest more. I thought Mm -hmm. I was going to chill because we, Kevin and I did that. I didn't do that. Uh, Then I made the net and then I found, um, I decided to make a second slingshot and then I went and got greens and then I went and moved that stump and then I did more target. That was the only day like I kept going the whole time. 
Um, I didn't want to sit and be in my thoughts. If I'm just whittling a stick and making something, it's better than sitting there getting right. into my own head. Yeah, and and that's something in the military that they teach you is is always to be looking to improve your position, mm-hmm. always looking to be um, trying to get myself into a better circumstance, whether that's a living circumstance, whether that's a fighting circumstance, or that's yeah. a uh, whatever, a survival circumstance. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an aspect of survival is always looking to improve something. There's always work to mm-hmm. be done. And whenever you can busy the mind, um, you know, idle hands are the devil's playground, right? In the same same place in your mind, whenever you're able to just sit there and try to process like, man, I'm alone right now. You know, I'm in this situation, whatever it is, it's easy for it to be very consuming. But like you said, you know, whenever you decided to start action and started doing the things that you know what knew what to do, um, it, it paid off for you. And you were yeah. able to um, think through the scenario, able to redirect overcome my and redirect your emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I definitely wish I saw how um, how Kevin made different traps because I thought that I there was nothing there for me to trap, I don't think. But it would have been really cool to make something else. So I kind of, I know the day before I was just like, what else can we make? What else can we make? What are other tools? That was before I knew he was leaving. Obviously I didn't know he was leaving, but um, I just wanted to make more. And I'm a very hands-on, I need to keep busy. So I wish I kind of found some more stuff to make. You know, the last 72 hour challenge that I did, I, I dedicated it to my mentor, Marty. And Marty passed away last year in May. And I, I often think, you know, if I had a chance to ask Marty like one more question, right? What would that question be? And I think something that a lot of us do is we take for granted the people that we have around us and we assume that they're going to be there the next day, right? And when I looked at this challenge, I knew that I was only going to be there for 48 hours. I really wanted to try to front load Ricky with as much as I could. And I knew that I was going to depart on the third day. And I think metaphorically, it's, it's a perfect example of, you know, some days you have the people that you can rely on the next day, they're not there. Right. So I think it's important that, you know, we think about if we only have a certain amount of time, which is our most valuable resource with the people that we care about, the people that can help us, that we can learn from, how do we want to fill up that time with, you know, what questions and, and what comments, you know, do we want to fill it with a bunch of noise or do we want to fill it with a signal that's going to give us something useful? Um, I think it's, you know, we just need to stop and ask ourselves that question. And, and I think what we'll find is that the time that we do spend with these folks who are so important to us will be, uh, will be better spent. So, yeah, I think that's, a, I think that's a really good tactic. And, um, just the, the, the mentality there of always looking at the next best thing to do. Um, that's the way that, um, that's the way that you do survive anything. And that's the way that you kind of overcome a whole lot of different things uh, as a whole, no matter if it's just survival, whether it's just, um, whatever, you know, that's the way you got to do it. So, um, Ricky, as we kind of like um, wrap this thing up, you know, I would say that the things that you have done um, are very inspiring to a lot of people and very aspiring to um, even other either other women and ladies that are like, man, I, I kind of want to get into this. Um, I want to uh, test myself. I want to mm-hmm. push myself. What would you say to folks and other gals that want to get into this? That's kind of been my goal um, with Fieldcraft lately is reaching that demographic between 25, 35, even outside that range um, of women who want to learn how to be outdoorsy and learn survival and learn preparedness and learn um, every aspect of kind of everything Fieldcraft does. 
but doesn't know where to start. Like if you look at me, when I came in in March, I didn't know anything. I probably shot a gun a handful of times. I've probably, I mean, I've camped, but I don't have survival skills. Um, but from starting there to now doing this challenge, there's so much change since, and how long ago was that? Six months? So it's just crazy. So I really wanted to reach that demographic of women who don't know where to start. They have zero knowledge. You can go exactly from being exactly like me. I had zero knowledge into doing something like this and surviving outside on your own. Like there's, it's kind of scary to get yourself out there and especially field craft. It's mostly guys. Like it is a lot of guys and they all are very ex they're experts in different things. They're all so good at what they do, but it's inspiring to have all these guys kind of coach you and mentor you into becoming who you want to be and not be scared to throw yourself into these situations. Cause everybody here like wants to support you, wants to support you and wants you to grow. So it's just a great atmosphere. And I really want other women to go out there and do that because a lot of times you just don't know where to start yeah. and you don't know how capable you are until you get out there. So just get out there. <laughs> yeah. So how do you feel about yourself now? I know you were super nervous whenever, um, I, I just remember seeing you the days before you left and you, how nervous you were, but yeah. how do you feel now on the other end? I feel so good. I feel like I could, I'm not going to do it right now. I feel like I could do another challenge though. Um, and I'd be, if I go into it alone, which I would like to do one alone. Um, I think going in alone, I'd like knowing it, mm. I'd feel a lot better because I'd be mentally prepared. Yeah. But I think I would do well. I think I would love it. I know we need to be near water that time or the next time. But I'm really proud of myself and how much I, I've surprised myself with it. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Did you ever feel afraid? Did you ever feel out of control? Or did you feel like as you started to gain those or feel those emotions, you were like, nope, I'm dialing it back in? Um, I mean, the last day when I was alone in the afternoon, I kept hearing more and more around me, but I don't know if that's just because I was on edge of thinking I'm going to hear something and being scared, right. but I actually found out it was Kevin. Just, he was there the whole time. There weren't yeah. more animals around. It was Kevin. He was 10 yards away from me sleeping. Yeah. And I thought there was just more wildlife. So I, I wasn't hearing things or seeing things. It was actually there, but I thought it was just more wildlife. It was crazy. The, the final day, the final day was actually pretty funny because, um, I talked to Austin and Austin was like, all right, we're trying to figure out how we can make sure that Ricky has supervision the entire time. Like we don't want her to get hurt. We don't want someone to hurt her. And it was either going to be Rob or it was going to be me. Rob's like training up to do another triathlon and he's got to drive like 30 something hours or something ridiculous. It's like, I'm going back up there. So I started going up there and I parked pretty far away. I was probably, I'd say a good quarter mile from where Ricky was camped. And I'm talking to Didi the whole time. And, and because, because I, I had to leave Ricky, Ricky didn't trust any information that was coming in. And Didi's like, I have trust issues now. Yeah. Didi, Didi was like, trust me, you're okay. There's someone there that's watching you. And she's like, no, there's not, no, there's not. And I told Didi, I said, tell Ricky, I'm going to honk my horn, two long blasts. I'm right here. And at she, 7.15. At 7.15. 7.18, still didn't hear anything. I'm like, I don't trust you. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I proceeded to honk the horn and then I crossed the road and I basically, like if you guys know what a clover leaf is, I clover leafed into where Ricky was because straight line distance, it wasn't very far from where I could go. Um, but I wanted to make sure that she was not going to hear me. And on the final day, day two was characterized by a lot of high wind. I mean, ridiculous amounts of wind. Final day, 
dead quiet, the type of dead quiet where even like a simple twig breaking, you could hear it from across the way. I got to the point where I was 75 yards from Ricky and I could hear the the GoPro clicking on or going beep, 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 and then Ricky whispering. And I was like, okay, she's gonna hear me if I if I keep moving. So I moved back. At one point I saw her looking off in the distance. I could see her like white face looking at me with like against like the dark evergreens. I'm like, I'm, I'm cooked, I, like I'm done. Uh, so I moved back and then when it got dark, I moved closer to her location and I got to the point where I was camping about 15 yards from her. She could have, she could have definitely seen me, but I waited until the trees were rustling and wind has different characteristics. Like there's the, the initial wind, there's the sustained burst, and then there's the, you know, the wind dying off. So I would wait for that peak of wind and I would walk and walk and walk, and then I would stand still walk and walk and walk and stand still. And I got really, really close. I got to the point where I was like, I should just go in the shelter. <laughs> but then I, was like, I was like, Ricky's got a gun and I yeah. value, you know, my head being intact. I, <laughs> I don't want to get shot in the face. So, uh, so I eventually just, I, I, I waited and then I, I fell asleep there uh, facing the outside. And then in the morning, Ricky, I think went to put in her contacts or whatever. She got on the vehicle that we have there for the safeguard and then went up the hill. And that's when I went right to the shelter. I made coffee for her and I was waiting with the two cameras. Um, but what are you gonna add? Oh yeah, that and last night, my night alone, I slept in my contacts. I was scared to bring my glasses and break them, but I slept in my contacts because I knew if I heard something, I had to go out and I couldn't see because I legally can't even drive without my contacts or glasses. I was like, if something's out there and I can't see it, then I can't get away from it. Right. So I tried to sleep in my contacts in the morning at like 4 a.m. I couldn't open my eyes. They mm. were just stuck shut. And um, yeah, but the last day I just kept hearing so much and it was scaring me because I was just on edge from right. being alone. But I had no idea it was Kevin the whole time. Yeah. Like so I was just on edge, but I, I guess it. I feel better knowing that there actually was something there because I thought <laughs> I was going it. crazy. Yeah, but it, you know, and that plays into that psychology too. Right? Yeah. So, well, that's awesome, man. I'm I'm really proud of you. I know the rest of the team's really proud of you. Um, you got any final thoughts on 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 anything? And and what about um, if we were gonna do another challenge? You know, like what were your thoughts about a, a future challenge? I think a future challenge would be good. We really need to focus on water. It That needs to be there because to, to put people out in that environment for that long without water is really tough. Mm -hmm. um, so a water source there, but I think another challenge would be great. Um, and I want to challenge somebody else. You do? I do. I want to challenge somebody. Call them out. Who is it? Hmm. We didn't talk about this. I think I should pick a person and he should pick a person because mm -hmm. we've both been challenged. Uh, who is it going to be? I kind of want to send you out there. Me? Yeah. Oh, I thought you said you wanted to be a challenge. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I do want to send you. But I also think it'd be fun to do like maybe like a sibling challenge or like a couple oh, okay. challenge or something okay. like that. I think it'd be mm -hmm. really cool because it kind of you have your partner. Mm. And then I think if everybody who does it just challenges another person, yeah. everybody's going to be out there doing it. It'll yeah. be so cool. Okay. Right. We talked about the Mike Hernandez challenge for a while. Um, and there's a company here in Utah that has these kind of like single wheel, like a wheelbarrow type of thing, but you carry equipment in it. Be interesting to see how far Mikey Hernandez could go, 
in 72 hours. And maybe we have like a punishment if he doesn't make a certain distance. Like if he gets 50 miles, he's only getting like four lashings, yeah. right? But if he goes 75, he'll get two. And if he goes hundred miles, he he escapes the cane or whatever he decided to beat awesome. him with. Uh, that's I don't funny. know. Maybe that's something. I don't know. Yeah. So I, I love Mikey LFG. All right. Then so I think like, what about like Austin and Jack? Mm. Put Jack next to sunlight. Oh gosh. You can't put Jack in the sunlight, man. Well, that's that's not a challenge that equals death. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, guys. Well, more to follow on the challenge. Yeah, we'll Stand challenge by. some people. Someone will be getting called out. Mm -hmm. So I'll let you guys. I like how you just like redirected that. Yeah, I did So redirect. it wasn't you. I mean, it's a tactic, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean. We'll see. I ain't scared. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in. Ricky um, and Kevin, too. Proud of both you guys. But Ricky, seriously, um, awesome job stepping up to the plate, Thank even you. though you were volunteered. You did a night alone. That's 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 heavy stuff. And like, yeah, yeah we joke and we and we and we smoke about it here at work mm -hmm. and working for a survival preparedness company. It was my first night ever sleeping yeah. in a primitive shelter was yeah. this challenge. So yeah. um, for two nights, first time doing it and then alone. I think yeah, that's huge. That's a huge, that's a huge accomplishment for you. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm glad that you now have that confidence in handling yourself and through some type of a survival situation, mm -hmm. should you ever be in one. Uh, I know you crush it. We all know you crush it because you did yeah. crush it. So, Woo. all right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in and we will catch you on the next podcast. Stand by for that challenge. Bye.